this episode of Common Sense of Mia, we'll be talking to the dispensary whisperer herself. With a career in the cannabis industry spanning nearly a decade, our guest has helped dozens and dozens of dispensaries become more efficient through a stream, streamlined approach to operations, from licensing and planning to opening the doors. Our guest today has seen it all. Chelsea Mulligan, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Common Sense of Mia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I don't know that I've... Uh, I mean, we work with people in Arizona, but I don't know that I've podcasted with anybody in Arizona. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to hear about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy because, you know, as I'm sure, you know, you've worked with many, many dispensaries, but there's, there really is no consistency between the States and that kind of keeps it fun. It keeps us on our toes a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear what's going on in one of the driest States in the country which is where I want to start. So I am currently in Vermont, the Northeast, uh, which is famously humid. And you can tell by looking at my hair. Um, so you were, like I said, from Arizona, I would like to know about your hair care routine and what I can do to kind of tame uh, some of this, that the humid is, the humidity is just killing me. What do you do? What's your leave secret? Leaving conditioner and Brazilian blowouts. That is my secret. <laughs> Brazilian blowouts. I uh, have lived in Burlington, Vermont for a long time. I can safely say that there isn't a Brazilian blowout place here, but I am an entrepreneur. I am now starting BurlingtonBrazilianBlowouts.com. <laughs> I'm going to have to buy that domain before this podcast comes out. Uh, one more Arizona question. What's up with Sedona? Why is it so weird? So it's such in a good way. I love Sedona. Yeah. Like the energy is fantastic. Red rocks. I mean, why not? Um, right. And it snows during the winter. So at least you get a little bit. I mean, I know you said you're really humid. I'm on the opposite spectrum. So like, right. it's nice to introduce a little bit of humidity. Um, like I'm in LA currently and uh, it was very humid yesterday. And I was like, this is, this is not something I'm used to. What is that smell? What is that oceany watery thing? Why is my hair going like this? <laughs> 100%. I totally get it. Well, I, I've actually never been to Sedona. My wife's been a bunch of times and she loves it, but she always says, and she always comes home with a nice new crystal. Yeah. Um, but she's like, there's something in the water there. I don't know what it is, but I'm interested. I love when they put stuff in the water because that's how my teeth get so white. Um, so as I said in the introduction, you've been in the cannabis industry for a a little while now in cannabis years longer than regular years. Um, and I, you know, am always curious about the entry point, how people get here. Uh, what happened to you at LA fitness that made you like, what happened there that you knew it was time for a change? Um, so mostly because I moved states. Um, and what I did enjoy about LA Fitness was the mergers and acquisitions part. Um, them buying gyms and being able to go in and meet the staff, turn it over, rebrand it, put operations in place that the staff could, you know, actually flourish in their positions. Um, so, but I, I wanted more than that. And I wanted more than living in the Pacific Northwest. I've lived there for nine and a half years and I was kind of over the rain and you know, I went the complete opposite and decided the desert was a great option. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what made me change. It was just time. Yes. There's I learned a lot like, what, at LA fitness. Yeah. I, I, that is kind of, you know, I started there when I was like 21, 22. Maybe the gym, yeah. The gym business model fascinates me. It fascinates me because all they want you to do is be a customer and all they don't want you to do is come to their gym, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great sales um, tactic and I wasn't in sales. Pay me to not work out. <laughs> oh, right? oh, that sounds good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I learned a lot about operations. It's kind of where I realized that I loved that part of yep. business. Yeah, totally. It was similar for me. I worked in, re you know, I worked for Apple retail, but, you know, customer facing, customer service, that sort of thing. 
but that early experience was like, okay, this is not the place for me, but the soul, the kind of mission, the, uh, the things that we call customer experience, those are important to me. So whatever I do next, I'm taking that with me. It's, yes. it's good when you have these, you know, on your journey, to, you know, for me, it was too entrepreneurialism. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, start hardly any businesses before I started this company, but it was, you know, you, you, you put things in your quiver, like little, you know, little tidbits here. Um, and you also take things out, right? As you leave jobs, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm never going to be operating that way. Like that was crazy. I'm, I'm removing that from my skill set. Um, so what was happening in cannabis 10 years ago in Arizona? It very is little. Very little. It has changed exponentially. Like I actually was having that conversation a couple of weeks ago with a professional here in LA about, I remember when the only concentrate on the shelf next to the flower was hash. Like it was kind of shatter was just starting to hit that market. And um, to watch it flourish into what it is now is both mind blowing and amazing. Like even though I've been in this industry for almost a decade, it it's it's still mind blowing that one, it's a thing and how it innovates and changes almost every month, let's be real. It's not every year. Yeah, for sure. That's why a, a a year in cannabis feels like, you know, five because you are constantly evolving. You know, if you're interested in, in <laughs> never being the same person as an entrepreneur than you were the day before, then cannabis is, it's pretty much the right place for you. Um, so why cannabis? Why not LA fitness in Arizona or something else? So two reasons. I, um, I grew up in Seattle, my middle school and high school and some of my college years. And I hurt my back pretty badly in gymnastics when I was 17 years old. Um, and I had to go through every, you know, therapy possible before they would operate on me. Um, and they would only operate on part of what was wrong with me. So, um, I was on a cocktail of four pills and pretty much like a 17 year old zombie in classes. Yeah. And somebody gave me the knowledge that if I learned to microdose with cannabis, and even though I'd literally just broken up with my boyfriend because he smoked pot, um, she was like, if you learn to microdose and maybe hit it twice every couple of hours, you don't necessarily, gonna, you're not going to be high. It's going to hit your pain receptors and you're not going to wake up with the pill hangover and maybe you'll be more functional. So I learned back then to do that before school and in between classes and I managed my pain that way instead of being high out of my mind, it would just make me functional and I wouldn't sit like that yeah. <laughs> in class. Um, so that's why cannabis, I was actually managing a chiropractic office in 2012 and I happened, I wanted more hours. I only had 30 hours a week because that's what they were open. And there, there was a Craigslist ad for a dispensary management position in Phoenix. And I was like, either this is going to be really cool and the best thing ever, it's going to be super shady. And it ended up being a great fit. Um, and they went on to acquire three more licenses beyond that. And I was able to go turn those over, which is kind of where I made the LA fitness connection. Like, wait, I can do the same thing I did there. And it also made me realize that a lot of those businesses back then in cannabis, they didn't have SOPs. They didn't have you know, like training programs for their employees and a way to invest in them. And because my soapbox is you, you know, whether your employee is with you for a week or five years, they should leave you better than they came to you. So um, I realized like, oh, like I can do what I did there in cannabis. Um, and that's actually why I went out on my own two and a half years later. Cause I was like, I can go do this for multiple licenses in this state. Um, and be my own boss and actually help people, both entrepreneurs and customers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've said a lot of interesting things so far. We're five minutes in. The one <laughs> thing, so the one thing that's, so, so kind of the theme here, right, is, is talking about the entrepreneurial journey. It is not a unique uh, topic of conversation at all, but I think some of the context that this lends, hopefully, to the people who listen to this is that despite 
despite the world being big and scary and, and overwhelming and cannabis being federal, you know, like whatever you, you know, fill in the blank for whatever your reason to, to not do something is, 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 you know, through these conversations, you can see that, well, everybody's, everybody's been through that. you right. Like, so, so one, one interesting thing that you just said is they weren't giving you enough hours. So you were ambitious beyond your, your ambitions surpassed like your nine to five or rather your, you know, whatever, nine, nine to four, nine to three. I don't uh, like to be stagnant. I like to constantly be learning, which I think is also why going out as a consultant in cannabis was good for me. I could help people in 90 to 120 day contracts or whatever they needed. And then I got to have a new experience of triaging and you're constantly learning and you're constantly having to adapt. And that, that is definitely an entrepreneur <laughs> experience at least. Yeah. Well, take me to that day after whatever you opened the third dispensary and you're like, come on, I can do this. What, what, like, um, yeah, what, what happened I, there? I realized that, that, you know, the, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest. I realized that the person Please. above me was not going to move on anytime soon which meant I'd kind of hit a ceiling with that company. And even though there were three locations, like if there was, if that, if I was at that ceiling, then what happens next? Um, so I ran their marketing department for six months because I figured, hey, I, I know in operations and compliance, I should understand how to market this to people, even though if truth be told, I cannot stand the marketing piece. I learned that very quickly, but at least I needed to understand it. Um, and while I was in that marketing position when it, and I had been talking to another licensee at one point and they were asking me to help write them a few things. And I was like, wait, why don't I just go do this? Like, and my husband was completely supportive. So I jumped in with both feet. I gave my two and two weeks notice and yeah. I love this. This is, this is also not an uncommon kind of response to this question was like, I was, and I'm like, this is truly it, right? Like I'm smarter than my boss. I realized that I'm, maybe more capable than I thought I was yesterday. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I can't spin my tires. Like I, like you said, I don't want to be stagnant. I need to, I'm an, an evolving human being who may have and a specific skill set. but hold up. But, but I'm curious about that moment of when you're like, because for me, I have a totally similar story, almost exactly. Um, but it was, maybe two years before I had a similar thought and was fired from my job, not left my job, but was fired from my nine to five because I was, you know, pursuing something else. And my, but the reason why it took so long is because I wasn't listening to a podcast like this. I had a very little support group. So I, you know, I would have questions like, like, how am I going to figure out how to pay myself? How am I going to figure out, like, like I can sell, you know, or in your case, like I can open a retail store. I know operations, but that's like, that, that's the one small, that's the thing you do, not how you create a business. So once you got to that point, you're like, I got, I, you know, I, I should do this. How did you figure out that you could do it? It was me talking to a couple license holders and them asking me to write them a couple SOPs for their employees on how to do their job. And then they paid me and I was like, so I could just do this over and over again for each of those license holders. And I recognized that I was good at building teams and hiring employees. And yes, I, you know, when I was at LA Fitness, I had my boss and her name was Sarah and she was a mentor and a boss. And she really embodied for me something different than every other manager and boss I had ever experienced. And showed me that you can do that, right? You can manage with empathy and be cognizant of people's personal lives and you can still be successful. Like they will still respect you. You can build great teams. Well, some people take advantage a thousand percent. Um, so once I realized I was able to build good teams within cannabis and write these SOPs, I went and talked to a couple more license holders and they paid me for some SOPs. And for the first year, um, I worked in cannabis and did that as a consultant, but then I also actually ran, ran like food truck roundups for a group in the East Valley in Phoenix. Um, so they do like 30 food trucks and 30 vendors and I'd help park the food trucks and like manage 
the event three times a week. Um, and that was my side money in conjunction with my consulting money to be able to bring in enough. Um, and after a year, I had done enough consulting that I didn't have to talk to license holders anymore. And by the time I ended the contract, there'd be about two weeks to a month left. And I'd have somebody call and be like, can I hire you when you're done? And that just kind of kept on for four years. And it hasn't stopped. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I mean, that, that, that definitely, like, so to me, it's like the universe, <laughs> you either wait long enough for the universe to like tell you, right? Or you're smart enough to know that, for me, I've waited for the universe to tell me, right? You, you were like, I got this. This is not, you know, I, I can do this. And I, I love that. I love that. Just that feeling, because I could see it in your eyes as you're just talking about it. I, like that feeling of like, oh, oh, I can do this. And I love that um, because I didn't have, <laughs> that didn't happen to me. Um, but I, you know, that feeling you're talking about is actually why I also in love employee management. Coming in and being able to interact with employees and watch them have that moment of like, mm -hmm. oh my God, this is what I'm good at. Or yeah. I enjoy this. Or like, this is what I want to do. This isn't just a job. Like, I don't know. You should just always impact the people around you. Totally. And, and that's another awesome part of the evolution of being an entrepreneur is like, so, you know, my, my experience is mine. So I have to bring this back to me. Okay. Chelsea, I have to make this, I have to make this podcast about me, not you, That's fine. But, but my experience is very similar, right? It's like, okay, I know, you know, it's not like I, uh, pined growing up. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to sell, build websites for businesses. You know, like I, that it wasn't that it was, I'm good at, I'm a salesperson. I'm good at making relationships. I'm good at providing value to my clients through this thing I do online, right? Like through the service I provide. And starting your company with the root skill set of what you do is obviously important. But if you're good at what you do, that goes away pretty quickly. Like, you know, you hire people to build the website, you hire people to maybe make the relationships you hire people, you know, you've met Ryan, you, you, uh, hire people to do whatever, take out the trash. I mean, I, I still take out the trash, but, um, you hire all these people and then you become their mentor. And that's like the real evolution is like, Oh, I'm, I'm no longer the website sales guy. I'm now like a peer and a, a mentor for my employees. I want, you know, like I started this company because whatever, fill in the reason I was unhappy. I thought I could do it better. I thought whatever. Um, but now I have to instill that into my employees because they have to believe it too. It was important for me. It has to be important for them. So that feeling of like seeing it come together, like mentally, you know what I mean? Like I see this happening. I, I see growth happening with my employees I mean, it's so much more rewarding than, I, I mean, I don't even know. It's just, it's way more rewarding than having contracts signed. I completely me. agree with you. It, that, and it's one of my most favorite parts that I've now done it in 43 dispensaries because I, I've now impacted 43 staffs. Thank you. Um, I, so, I, you know, it's a new team. I get to impact each time. So yeah. that, that's what's really unique. Um, and honestly, like what Open Door was kind of built on, if I'm being like all of my operational experience and, you know, people always ask like, why don't you have your own dispensary? And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do the consistent day-to-day -day in one shop. Why not help another entrepreneur realize their vision and they get to own their business in totality and operate it and have that for theirs while also it's my legacy and my best practices that are being used. Um, like so let's, let's lend a little context real quick. So oh, sorry. <laughs> we, we didn't, we, we didn't actually say what, what it is you do. Oh, right? That's so right. It's okay. <laughs> you're a consultant, right? So you help, you're an operations consultant. So dispensaries hire you to build out their SOPs and, and help them open their doors. You work for a dispensary. Do you, are you a part owner of that dispensary? 
Um, not so like all the dispensaries I work with I come in as a 1099 consultant for a little while I was the director of retail for um Hana that has two right that it was the name was escaping me yep yes so I I was not I started as a consultant there but then the next year I spent as an employee um and then I've gone back to consulting while also doing open door all at the same time um and then there's open door so can you just explain real quick open door so Open Door is a retail cannabis franchise um, yes, that is this. national. So think of it, it, it I, I don't like to describe it like this, but I, it's so much easier to understand when I do. It's like a business in a box, right? It's designed, all of the best practices are there, how to operate, all of your compliance is there. Um, it's, it's already designed, everything is ready. It's a franchise. Um, yeah, it's, it's like a Starbucks or something like that. And then, mm-hmm. so people can feel consistency regardless what city they're in. Um, but we have added certain like design elements because we don't want it to be completely cookie cutter and for people to feel off put. And obviously you're not gonna get the same brownie in New Jersey that you're gonna get in Arizona, but you can have qualifications to figure out how to get the closest of the two to make sure that a consumer can go to both states and have that same customer experience. Mm-hmm. The open door business concept fascinates me. We're currently working with maybe one or two other similar type companies, but I I do kind of want to get into um, the, how that company came about, but also let's talk about that first, but also I'm curious a little bit more in detail about um, just how the complexities of interstate you know, ha- having these businesses in, in multiple states, but can you, can you tell us a little bit more? Cause you, you have a partner in this, correct? I do. So we love uh, partner stories. We love a good, we love a good founder story. She is absolutely wonderful. Her name is Catherine Blackwell. Um, she met our investor and advisor member or board member. I'm not going to say that right. So sorry. His name is Brian McLaren. <laughs> They met at a networking event in North Scottsdale that was like a normal business networking event, not cannabis. And she just kind of asked him like, hey, what do you think of franchising in cannabis? Because her background, they she founded Kahala Brands in the 80s with her husband. So that is the franchisor for Blimpy Subs and Salads, Coldstone Creamery, Samurai Sam's. Um, and she had been in another state purchasing cannabis and wasn't really impressed with all of the experiences she had. And so she approached Brian and kind of said like, what do you think? Is, is there a place for franchising and cannabis so people can have these good consistent customer experiences and not be concerned or scared or uncomfortable or off foot? Um, and he was like, yes, like you should meet Chelsea. So we had lunch and talked and honestly, like it was just a really great fit with all of her franchising and business knowledge and all of my cannabis compliance and operations knowledge um, to be able to marry those two made a great partnership. So uh, that's how Open Door came to fruition. And yeah. That's awesome. The, the founder kind of, you know, I, I've actually, I started this company with a few founders and they all left, which is probably a testament to me, <laughs> my, maybe my personality, but the, the, I think the actual reason that I kind of went through founders is because none of them were particularly the right fit until I found the ones that were, and it was about complementing the skill. It's not about necessarily splitting the hats, right? It's complementing the skill set that you each have, um, again, while focusing on like trying to help each other evolve, right? Ultimately you have the goal of, of selling franchises. Um, and each of you have this, you know, maybe a a set of specific things, um, to come to the table with what, were there any challenges in kind of working out the relationship or was it fairly simple? I'd say it's fairly simple. Um, we're both, respectful of each other we both you know like you said about complementing skill sets like there is a little bit of overlap but not a toe-stepping overlap if that makes sense um because we have very different but complementary skill sets uh we communicate well um i'm a very direct communicator so i can probably be a lot to handle sometimes yeah. um I don't <laughs> words so um 
I think that may have been a learning curve for some people that work for me and with me. Um, but she, I, I, I think our partnership has gone really well. I'm not sure I could have asked for a better partner with franchise knowledge and business knowledge and heads. It sounds like it. This is as she has. I mean, I, I think it just married very well. So you mentioned that, you know, um, sorry, Catherine, what was her name? Yep. Catherine, Catherine and Brian kind of met randomly. Brian knew you separately. So my question is, what do you think is more important timing and right place, right time or experience, which you clearly both bring to the table? I think honestly, it's a mixture of the two. I'm going to edit in the Jeopardy theme music right there at that pause. We'll, we'll put in, we'll put in some content, you know, con some contemplative music there. I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's both, but I think the timing is so important because if you have the right skill sets, but it's not the right time or like what you're offering isn't the right time, or it's not the right time for the partnership, then it's going to implode whether it's amazing or not. Right. Yeah. At least that's what I believe. I'm a huge like energy timing. Um, so yeah, I think if I have to pick the two, it's probably timing because there's a lot of people with skill sets, but you're not always going to have the right time. I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, I think it's a little bit, of, a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing. And, you know, if you're good at what you do, ex your, your experience will ultimately carry you through. Um, but I, I love that. I love that idea of like, you know, in this guy, Brian, who went to this other thing and met this other person and was like, Hey, you should meet Chelsea. And, uh, also we're living on a planet during a time where this thing called cannabis is now legal. And, you know, we can now sell, you know, there are, you know, if cannabis isn't legal, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this company for, you know, the real estate industry or whatever, fill in the blank, you know, like it, I'm just not interested in it, but the fact that the cannabis industry, you know, it's timing, you know, I, I I'm very grateful that we're living <laughs> at this exact moment in time. It's very exciting. Not, not a lot of entrepreneurs get to say that they're, you know, at the forefront of a, of an industry. That in itself has been on like honoring. I feel honored and it's exciting. What's the scariest part about starting your business? What was the scariest part about starting your business? What is the scariest part about going into a franchise e deal? So those are two kind of two kind of different questions, but what I'm getting at is like, there's fear at every angle of this journey called life that we're on, right? And you can meet it head on and plow through it as it sounds like you have, but when you were, you know, kind of at the crossroads of like, this is happening and this thing that I think is scary ain't shit. What was that? I mean, I think the, I think the scariest part of starting open door was like, yeah. what will people's response be? Will they see the need? Um, I mean, there's a thing called imposter syndrome and that is real, oh, yeah. right? Like, I, yeah. I don't really like being front and center. I like being behind the scenes. I've kept my head down. It's why I've done 43 dispensaries, 10 cultivations and seven manufacturing facilities. Cause I just, I, I like to work and I like being successful at it, um, not from a money standpoint, but like watching the businesses run. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, it's a wonder of like, wait, am I really qualified for this? Like, what, what if it's, what if I'm not as great as everybody keeps telling me I am? Um, oh and what if people don't respond to it and get it um, and it fails? But then I'm like, well, if it fails, <laughs> we'll yes. go to the next thing. Um, Scariest thing about entering into a franchisee deal is failing them. Yeah, I, I, I know I won't, but like, I think that's been a common theme in my entire life, not wanting to fail people or fail myself. Um, so wanting to make sure that I support them to make sure that their legacy, that they're kind of entrusting on some level to me and Kathy flourishes and that they're happy in the end. And, you know, I think the second scary part is like, now you're kind of married to that franchisee for that five to 10 years. So yeah. uh, you 
I, I like to look at those partnerships as true marriages in the sense that if it's not the right fit on both sides, I'm, I'm, I'm okay acknowledging that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an important skill to have. <laughs> Or else you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> also, also bothers some people though. So I really had to learn to like be okay honoring those thoughts. Um, yeah. But I'm always respectful, obviously. But I think you don't ever want to do a disservice to someone else or yourself. So putting that on the table and talking about it is important. For sure. I mean, there there's nothing like a dose of, uh, you know, some good old fashioned honesty, especially if, you know, maybe... Yeah, if it just doesn't fit, if the personalities don't fit, or if the missions don't fit, or whatever, like it, it being able to uh, ignore the fear of maybe not closing a deal, right? Like that's not what's important. It's it's really your inner happiness and the immediate happiness of closing a deal is nothing compared to the ultimate unhappiness of now having to deal with a client maybe you shouldn't have or whatever right well, yeah like, and when there's when there's millions of dollars kind of floating around you know like i think it's just better can to you be hear that is that really loud can huh. you hear the my ac just kicked on you, you can't hear yeah. it okay cool sorry <laughs> okay. um i think when there's millions of dollars floating around like you have to be pragmatic in that sense, right? And I think that's why we see some of the cannabis industry struggling because people just jumped into partnerships because there was money instead of being like, is this truly what should happen for longevity and success? Can you talk, can you pull that out a little longer? Because I think that's also a really important thing for everybody to hear, which is this isn't like an overnight success. Like, you know, there aren't bags everywhere. They're there, but you got to work to get them. Hard. Hard. <laughs> and while maybe some get it easier, that doesn't mean it's longevity, right? Um, there's some in it for short term. There's some in it for long term. I would like to be here for the long haul. Um, so I do things a certain way that I believe will ensure that. Do you think that, and let me preface this by saying I do, and I'm curious if you agree, but do you think that there is a big difference in ways non-cannabis companies and cannabis companies approach. This sounds really vague. They're not the same at the root of it. The way, you know, LA fitness is, you know, let's just talk about retail. The way a Starbucks is, is not the same as, you know, a retail dispensary. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yes, they have employees. Yes, they have standard operating procedures. Yes, they have payroll. Yes, they have products. But I guess what I'm getting at is like, there, there, is a, there is something different and I can't put my finger on it, but I just know it's there. There's something different in the way that cannabis businesses need to be run versus other companies. Well, that and I think cannabis businesses have different hurdles, right? We can't market like normal companies can. Right. Um, we can't bank like normal companies can. Yeah. We can't write off things in taxes like normal companies can. So I think that is definitely where they have to be run different. Um, I think not as much now, but back in like 2012 through 2014, most employees thought it was going to be like the head shop feel, right? Yeah. Um, I think they now realize like it's retail. Yeah, um, thank God. But that was a huge hurdle then too. So like you had to manage differently because what employees you had to work with when things were very new um, were different than just a normal retail employee. Yeah. Um, sometimes in a really good way, right? But sometimes yeah. in a challenging way. So, but on the flip side, the inner workings of like the normal business admin stuff that needs to be done is very similar Totally. But what you find in cannabis, not as much now, um, is that it wasn't necessarily people that had that business experience that were coming in and getting the licenses and the money. It was like, oh, this is cannabis. It's a green rush. I got yeah. money. We're going to do this. What's an SOP? Right. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I feel like, and I'm curious to, to hear your, your feedback here, but I feel like as a ancillary cannabis company, for me, that has changed very recently, like only in the last 
maybe two years are we dealing with companies uh, that aren't just mom and pop that that maybe have a marketing team that maybe have a staff <laughs> you know like uh, that that's all pretty recent to me in my memory of just like oh this is you know like I say our customer persona matured I, I don't I don't think that's true I think like all the you know fly-by-night cannabis companies went out of business right and now you're they're being replaced by people with maybe a little bit of a different slash maybe better business acumen? Um, I would say it's probably for me in the last four to five years that I've seen yeah. that. Um, and I, I think it's a good addition. I also still really like working with the mom and pops though. Same. Um, yeah. I like seeing their light bulbs come on. And like, those are the people that Open Door was created for, right? The people who don't want to sell out to a larger company and really want to keep their business and um, maybe are struggling or they get their license and they're like, what is this compliance mumbo jumbo? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a bit, it's a bittersweet trade-off too, because those bigger companies, you know, those non-mom and pops, like they have the budgets, right? Um, but the mom and pops, maybe smaller budgets and you're working harder, but the emotional payoff is, you know, tenfold, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Well, so I, you kind of touched on it as you're, you know, in, in, when I asked you kind of what's the scariest part about starting your business, you said, you know, well, I, I like seeing other people. I, I hate, you know, uh, failing other people. And I like watching them succeed is watching your clients succeed. The most rewarding part, rewarding part about running a business, or is there something else that you really love? Um, I think it's that and watching the employees succeed because cannabis is unique right because it's a new industry so there's a place for everyone um kind of like you touched on earlier for the entrepreneurs that are like oh like I don't know if I want to like I'm scared it's like there truly is a place for everyone especially right. in cannabis and it's so new you get to kind of carve out what that is for yourself right like there wasn't an operations and compliance consultant before I decided those were the two things I enjoyed and I didn't want yeah. to do marketing <laughs> um so you know, even watching those employee light bulbs go on and be like, oh my God, I could do this. Or like, yeah. I could go out on my own and create something. Or when they're in the cultivation and they realize that they're really good at growing those plants or they start mixing salts instead of using the pre-made um, nutrients. Like, and they're like, I love this. Yeah. That is probably one of the most rewarding parts. And then to see the license holders be able to like hold on to that and own their business and feel more comfortable in their business, not as stressed out that those two things are the most rewarding parts. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I, we're, we're not at a point yet where I'm like mentoring my employees on how to start their own companies. I wanna keep them here as long as possible. <laughs> um, but I do see them all growing because, you know, we have an SOP, you know, you know, I spent many, many weeks writing our, our SOP and, and job descriptions and uh, all that stuff, you know, but, it's, you know, it's not like it's an open tab on everybody's desktop, you know, like everybody has like, mostly, you know, most autonomous, you know, mostly they are autonomous in their day to day, aside from their, you know, tasks and specific goals. Um, so I, you know, we're, we're getting there where I know I'm going to have to let some of these birds fly one day, but not yet, not yet. Um, there's an incredible sense of like uniformity and consistency with franchises, right? When you walk into a McDonald's, you know, that if you take a right at the door, that the bathrooms are right there in any McDonald's, you walk in, in the planet, if you walk in the side door and take a right, that's where the restrooms are. This is the beauty of that kind of business model. Everything is accounted for. There's a checkbox for, for, for everything. So how do you handle this in an industry where there is zero consistency? Rules for sales differ in states. Marketing regulations are, you know, definitely different everywhere. 
how uh, how have you accounted for this at Open Door? Making sure that all of our compliance expectations supersede the state for the most stringent state regulations. So that way you don't have to edit by state and add, you can pare down, right? Got it. So um, you're, bu you're building off the most regulated state. Is that kind of your baseline? Yeah. Um, so What's I the most regulated state? There's a few of them, and they're, but they're yeah. all different for different reasons, right? Each sure. state decided to regulate a different section a little bit yeah. more. And um, prior to Open Door, uh, when working with the standards organization focus, I really got to kind of experience multiple states and experience those regulations and realizing if you just make something that is beyond all of those, Mm -hmm. Not only are you then superseding everything and you're accounting for any change in regulation already, um, but that you're probably going to be ahead of the curve. So um, our overarching compliance is much more stringent, but then for the states that aren't as robust, we can pare down those checklists. I'm not telling every franchisee that they have to go, you know, 200 times beyond their state compliance. Yeah it's going to be written that way and it can be pared down to meet their state compliance, but we are going to have franchisees that are going to want that because now they're a cut above the rest, right? They supersede everyone else and they're prepared for those regulations change because when the, when it goes federally legal, it will change, right? Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to have to meet certain regulations. So if we prepare for that now, it's not as blindsiding then. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's, it's a little different on the digital side, but yeah, you know, we, we basically reset the bar for ourselves. We took, you know, what, what is, what are the regulations that are the toughest? Let's kind of go a little bit above that in terms of how we're creating websites or taking, you know, handling content creation or, you know, managing advertising or whatever. Um, yeah, because you still have to kind of, we're out of the closet, but under the radar still, you know what I mean? which is not a terrible feeling. Um, one, of the, one, one of the great things about kind of running a franchise is, again, this consistency. Uh, there's kind of sometimes little room for the companies to pull out their own personality to be unique, uh, kind of figure out what, what separates them from, <clears throat> excuse me, other open door um, franchises or other dispensaries. Um, cannabis consumers are overwhelmingly looking for unique human run. Uh, they want to connect with their dispensary. How do you feel that you guys are, are dealing with this? And also how does open door kind of, uh, maintain the soul of a cannabis retail dispensary. You know what I mean? Like, how do you franchise something that is, you know, has such an emotional connection to their customer, but keep it, you know, keep that emotional connection super strong? So there are some design elements in each dispensary that is going to be unique to that dispensary, whether it's the region, the owner, whatever. Cool. Um, because people want it to be their own, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want it to be rigid and cold. That That's not fun right. for anyone. Um, and like I said, so I started smoking when I was 17, 37 now. So like I, I really, I respect the culture of why all of us are even here before yeah. it was legal. So I truly believe that to be able to marry that franchise feel and consistency feel, you still have to give a nod to that culture and acknowledge why any of us are even able to do business. Um, yeah. So, you know, that comes out in the training of the employees with the empathy and the education of the customers, uh, community integration, each dispensary will be integrating into that community, um, hiring, obviously local people, obviously, but really trying to find the people in that area. Like, like one of my favorite regulations in Oakland, California, is that a per certain percentage of your hires has to be social equity hires and that have been infected by the war on drugs. And so really trying to hire people in that community to directly impact that community. Um, and then integrating through events, having events, cleaning up the community, donating, um, really being a community partner. I think that is the way 
that you can still have a consistent feel inside of a dispensary, but the emotional feel and the emotional connection outside of the building, I think can weigh that out. So people still yeah. feel like it is a unique cannabis experience. Cause I don't want the cookie. I don't script my employees. I give them like five or six things. Not you have to say these five or six things, but I'm giving you five or six examples for you to understand kind of what the empathy should feel like, what it should be like. Um, and then make it your own because otherwise it's not going to be genuine and nobody's going to want to interact on that level. 100%. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And especially that the community piece, I think like, yeah, that's such a simple kind of route to get to you know looking past and and i'm not like i'm not saying this because there's some sort of negative view of franchise i don't think that at all but i'm saying occasionally that can cloud a, the co consumer judgment like do i want to you know do i want to go to this place that i know is going to be the same or do i want to you know try my local place but if you kind of figure out how to marry the two and 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 you know, embed it more on the local side, then that's the best of both worlds, right? I think to be successful, especially in the current cannabis climate, because, you know, like you said, like we're out of the closet, but we're not, what was, I don't, I can't remember what the second part was, but I like- I said we're uh, out of the closet under the radar. Exactly, there you go. Um, we're, we're not quite there yet where people want all of the uniformity and they don't want a Starbucks. And some of people really like their local drive-up coffee shop, right? Yeah. So that is one of Kathy and I's goals is to create that feel. So thank you for acknowledging it. <laughs> well, let, let, let me ask that question because I thought this was the best question I ever came up with for, for this podcast, which is how is a franchise like a Starbucks or sorry, how is a dispensary like a Starbucks? How is a dispensary not like a McDonald's? Or, and you can fill in the blank, like those are just probably the most ubiquitous of franchises, fill in the blank, whatever it is. You can flip-flop those things too. Um, how is it like a franchise? How is it not like a franchise? But they're both franchises. What, oh, well, I guess they're not. Starbucks isn't necessarily franchises. No, they are. But I, I guess I'm saying is like, how, and it, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the community piece. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, how is it like a, a franchise, but how can you keep it soul? I guess, I guess you already answered this question. So which is but, uh, embed so yourself I'll, in the community. I'll answer the Starbucks and the McDonald's question. Cause I think it's applicable. Um, no. McDonald's, like you just said, you walk in and every single one, the bathroom is on the right. No. Um, the employees are, very uh regimented mm -hmm. um and you know they're not they're all, some are very passionate and that's why you see people move up in that, that company into management sure. things like that but it's not like i love this hamburger and i you see where you're going hamburger. i see where you're going yes whereas starbucks is different every single one you walk into the design is different most of them have the same food items and the same drink items but there are additives to that that are seasonal or local to their community so that they can integrate mm -hmm. with that community um so yeah i think that's my answer is starbucks adds some additives. About people yeah yeah it's about the people i think i think you hit it right on the head there it's you know you can you can be a franchise in that you you know and again we're talking about not the specific definition of a franchise but that kind of overall ideal of a franchise you can be a franchise in that you're a place where you know high school kids go to work for the summer and you know at the end of the day you leave it you can be a franchise in that you have consistency throughout your thing but you can also not be a franchise by instilling passion by promoting passion by making sure that people are still unique that you're not scripting your employees but what you're really doing is focusing on quality and uh, you know basically operations consistency right like those are the important things and it sounds like one of the things that most you know dispensary owners struggle with right in the beginning is like how do i how do I open this friggin' store? And also how do I open this store and develop what we call culture? 
company culture. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but if all you have to do is focus on the company culture part, because Chelsea Mulligan came in and whispered the crap out of your dispensary and helped you get it open or, you know, sold you a dispensary through uh, open door. Um, that's really one of the only things left to do is just focus on the people. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, where do you see open door in the next couple of years? Like we said, you know, a year in cannabis is like five years. So where do you see yourself in five years, which is 15 years? <laughs> I am hoping we have open door in at least five to 10 states by that time. Um, I'm a under promise and over deliver person. So obviously I'd like to see more than that, but I think in five years, that's a realistic goal to be in five to 10 states um, and to be helping multiple entrepreneurs realize their vision of having a business for themselves and running it. My Kathy always says you're in business for yourself, not by yourself. And from the day she said that it resonated with me so much. Um, so I, yeah, it's something I kind of live by with open door. I love that. And also a, a good answer to the question, but also a, a great larger answer, which is uh, b- believe in yourself. There's resources out there for you. You don't have to do this alone. People listening, all 10 of you listening <laughs> uh, and three of you watching. Hi, mom. Um, you, you, you don't need to go this alone. There are experts out there. There are even solutions for turnkey business solutions that you know, if you're just trying to grind, uh, you can do it. Um, Chelsea Mulligan, tell all the people watching and listening where they can learn more about you, where they can hear about Open Door, where they can follow you and see you do awesome things. Opendoordispensaries.com, ChelseaMulligan.com, The Dispensary Whisper on Instagram. And I'm also on LinkedIn under Chelsea Mulligan. Yeah, you are, uh, which is where we met. And I'm glad we met there. Uh, we will link all those places in the description. Chelsea Mulligan, thank you so much for joining us and talking us through a small part of your story. And I hope maybe we can uh, catch up in a couple of years or, or sooner than that and, and hear how things are going. Thank I you appreciate so- you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this has been another episode of Common Sense Mia. I've been your host, Will Reed. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye.